Hi, this is Steve Mathiason, and you're listening to the Viticole Podcast. Hey, this is Yerka Jire, and we are jumping into part two of Redefining the Vigneron, featuring the 280 Project. Last episode, we spoke to my dear friend Christopher Renfro, the visionary behind the project. And for this episode, I thought it'd be important to talk to Steve Mathiason, one of his main collaborators. And one of the things that I really love about Steve and his wife, Jill Mathiason, is that they are so gracious with their knowledge and access to the winemaking world. When I got to visit with them last vintage, it was right after George Floyd's death really pushed all industries to take a magnifying glass into their diversity and inclusion practices. And the one thing that Jill and Steve vocalized to me was that they knew that they could do more. And I'm just happy to see that those weren't just words, they were actions. And in the spring of 2021, the 280 Project Apprenticeship was born. So 10 students from diverse, marginalized backgrounds have been going to Napa, Sonoma, Mendocino every Friday for a full day of hands-on working and fellowship with revered winemakers, wine growers, and wine business owners, learning everything from the soil to the grape, but also learning about business practices, learning about law practices. There's no project like this. I just have to keep saying that. There's no project like this, but I hope that it gets mirrored in regions all across the United States and all across the world. Things are really changing in Northern California, but to really understand the change, let's go back and talk to Steve about his origins and what it was like for him, a person who didn't own land and didn't come from a winemaking family starting out in the wine world. Um got into winemaking um kind of didn't ever know or mean to do that i was into really into gardening really into home beer brewing just diy in general um we were earlier today we were telling stories about building skateboard ramps and stuff back in the 80s and um but i knew i, I wanted to get into farming wanted to be a farmer and i managed to get this internship i got into davis and i got this internship working for a consulting company that worked on vineyards on helping them go organic or reduce their pesticide use, vineyards and almonds. And so um, it's like, oh, well, I'm, ho- you know, I'm going to switch over to home winemaking. And so that's when Jill and I met because she was working for this nonprofit that got the grant that funded my job. And so we started making, you know, making home wine. And that was, was um, our first vintage was 1995. Amazing. Yeah. And it just grew. Yeah, I did. we just kept on home winemaking, and she kept she was working for her non- nonprofit on like family farms and kind of local food and kind of food security and stuff of that of that era, basically. But I always wanted to farm. It was this question of finding the right opportunity, and it was a few different jobs later. I worked in Lodi and did wrote the um, Lodi Wine Growers Workbook, which was a sustainability handbook in 1999. And then we did viticultural research for a year for a winery. But then we ended up in Napa and started our own consulting company in, with a couple of partners in 2002. company here was kind of a consulting company, kind of vineyard management. So it was more like hands-on managing the vineyard. So I got the grapes and we, you know, we launched Mathiasin in 2003. Now that you've been spending time with Christopher Renfro and the apprentices of the 280 Project... What have you 
What have you seen is the starting point for marginalized people compared to what you did to like mm-hmm. work? Like you started from scratch as well. And you're telling me that you only started to get money out of the business like much late, much, much, like, much, like, much later on. Yeah, like 15 years down 15 the road. 15 years yeah, down the probably. road. So what are you <laughs> what are you kind of gathering being around all of these young people that really have a heart for this? Uh, um, you know, in agriculture is so good old boy network insular. And so for I so for me as like a, as a white male, I had that going for me in terms of acceptance but it was also even that was like well you're not a f-. it was like these communities are so close it's mm-hmm. unbelievable um and so i was always very much like the outsider you didn't have the pedigree yeah because you know everyone they grew up together their parents grew up together their grandparents grew up, and it's a mentality it's a whole culture when i look at, when i think about like the more marginalized people that they like, were trying to with the 280 project i mean there's there is there are those barriers of looking different cultural differences that you know background differences that need to be overcome i think it's a little the ear is a little more open than 20 30 years ago of course and so so we're so i think it's getting better but the farming side you have a lot of like people um that either have you know that came from mexico or their parents came from mexico that are now doing well in the business and have really successful companies and have really, um, but that's where the diversity kind of ends. Yeah. And especially, and, and we don't have a lot of women, I mean, you know, in the industry as well of any ethnicity. So the, I think, so one of the things I'm trying to accomplish with 280 is kind of a dual because you have the people that are giving their time and trusting us and showing up on Fridays, mm-hmm. but it's, it's also making, it's starting to get conversations started here in Napa, mm-hmm. the various people that are hosting them. You know, it's, it's such a cloistered area. Like you, you read on the news, you read about what's going on everywhere, you know, BLM and all of the, um, all the stuff that's, that's become come more to the forefront. And a lot of people don't hear, hear what do you actually do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, you can Venmo money to an organization in Minneapolis or something, but what do you actually person to person do about it what's the tangible action yeah there Mm -hmm. is you know and so it's so the so the so be opening up and and welcoming in a marginalized person to into our industry is something that people can actually do Mm -hmm. and and so i'm finding that there that um there's a lot of openness Mm -hmm. and i'm hoping that that gets everybody thinking about change that they can personally make with within their like hiring practice or just introductions or how they spend their money, et cetera. How did you meet Christopher Renfro? He did like an Instagram. I don't know how to do like DMs on Instagram. And my, and Jill's like, someone's been DM'd you about um, asking for some advice on their vineyard. And a lot of people reach out to me to ask for advice on vineyards. And I try to get back to people, but it can get a little overwhelming. Of course. And um, and and so, like a few days later, she's like, "You never got back to the that guy asked you, but you know, but oh yeah, yeah." She's like, "She's like, yeah, the vineyards in San Francisco." And I'm like, if "The vineyards in San Francisco." So is so the fact that this was at Alamany Farm in San Francisco, and that was one of the classic old community gardens back it used to be the Slug San Francisco League of Urban Gardeners, and so it's changed, you know, kind of fell apart, and they resurrected it and. 
the way that Alimany Farm works is that you is that everyone can go and just get garden get their gardening bug, you know, their scratch their itch scratch. They get to garden. It's more community because you're gardening with other people. But it's not your plot. It's like you just go there and you participate and enjoy the horticulture, the mm-hmm. love of horticulture and community. And then anyone can go harvest whatever they want. And I, that's, it's just such a good idea. And so that got us that whole like idea of like food justice and sovereignty and access to healthy food and stuff. Just kind of got this. The conversation started going for Chris about how much value he and he's gotten out of just his connection to the vines and to the plants and how meaningful that is and how you know wouldn't it be cool if people could experience that in vineyards and it was and i was like well you know the in the vineyards there's there's actually a lot of ways people can experience this in vineyards we actually have a labor shortage in in california and vineyards right now and they're good paying jobs, actually. And so we kind of started talking like that. And he was a little surprised at what vineyards pay, you know. So it's, you know, because nowadays you start at like zero experience. is like bottom is like 17 an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a skilled tractor driver is 25 an hour. And so, you know, it's a good job. Do you remember that first day meeting all the apprentices? Yeah, it was really cool. And um, like everyone's, you know, some people got emotional and started cr- and were crying. And it was, um, it was a good feeling to just sort of like get everyone, you know, here in Napa and try to like with put a welcoming hand out there and show that there's a open door, you know. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. I know many, many people in the wine industry who are marginalized try for years to knock on doors. Mm-hmm. and never get anyone to open it. So I know that it meant a lot for those apprentices. I've heard from a lot of them. It meant a lot to be able to just be here that first day with awesome. with everyone in community. Um, it's really beautiful. Um, let's talk a little bit about Christopher Renfro. What's your take on what you see for Chris in the future? It's, I, you know, it's interesting because... I have no idea, and I think that that's what's so cool is that he's so open and sort of like passionate, almost to the, like almost like spiritually passionate about what he's doing and these in this possibility that that you just see a giant unknown out there that but i know it's going to be interesting and cool whatever he does yeah. you know and what do you see for the trajectory of uh the 280 matthison collaboration with well, the apprentices mm-hmm. i just got my first email from sabrina yesterday and she just got a job working for one of the people on one of the stops nice and so she wrote a thank you email and i was like super psyched about that so we understand the vineyard side of, of the lay of the land, you know, obviously you can go super deep anywhere, mm-hmm. but if they have the lay of the land, then they, they can follow, hopefully they'll have met people, they could follow up with anybody that they've met, or they can, they'll just have a sense of where they want to do a deep dive if they do. What do you, what do you think 280, the 280 project needs to be successful to continue this work? So I think we need to raise some money so that we can, you know, pay folks 
so that they can carve out time sustainably to to um, sort of keep the keep the thing organized and just and just kind of like get make it work on an ongoing basis. Especially if we're going to have youth involved, but also just if we're going to keep you know working with marginalized people, is that there's a lot of inequity with internships of who can afford to take the time. Yeah, and. If they if they have responsibilities and bills to pay and who knows what they have to help with their families or what have you and so, you know it's a little different than an internship if it was like a bunch of people from like, you know, college students or something. This you know that it's, this is a different situation. So we need to have um, a, you know some stipend so that people can take time away and that's the other thing we that you know that's going to inflate our budget a little bit relative to some people. We're going to have to make that really clear to our funders that this is. For marginalized people and so we need to be able to make it possible for them this conversation that i have amongst bipoc folks is there's always this kind of a feeling of not wanting to take charity so mm-hmm. not really wanting to ask for anything but the more i dive into wine regions and am around like you know growers and people actually like out out here doing the thing, making the wine, it's all about community and asking and knocking on the door Mm -hmm. and breaking bread with people and sharing equipment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another like learning curve too. Like we have to be able to say, okay, I'm putting myself out there. I'm coming with a community like 280, like I'm safe. I'm meeting people who are setting the standards in this industry and want to work with me, like, let's go, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That's super powerful. Yeah, totally. And the wine industry as a whole in the United States has no idea what's happening right now in Napa. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And once they find out, there's going to be people from all over the country that want to come and be part of this project. Yeah. That's really what's going to happen. And I think it's going to be a wave. Yeah. It's just going to be a ripple of new faces. Totally. And you can see it. I see it when I come visit Napa and I go to downtown Napa and I see like little groups. Like there's like the Hugh Society group and then there's, you know, you'll see like a lane with a bunch of other people over here. And I'm like, people of color, like hanging out in Napa. Like that's not something that I would have seen before. Mm-hmm. I remember coming like two years ago and meeting Iman and being like, how do you do this? How did you get into this world? She was like the only one that I saw out here. Yeah. And now she works here. So mm-hmm. it's now she works at Matthias. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting to see how quickly within a year um, so much change has occurred and so yeah. many doors have opened. And, and people want to open the doors. You know, like at the, when we went with Farm Napa Valley, um, you know, so like Sander is the, is the vineyard manager. You know, he's the definition of a white guy. I mean, his ideal weekend is to drive five motorcycles out in the desert. And when I after I thanked him at the end of the morning and he teared up. He was like he's like, Thank you, this is so important, you know, you just can't you can count on me every single time. It was like, you know. I mean the lesson goes both ways. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're learning from each other. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you for your time, Steve. And thank you for your work. And I can't wait to see what else comes from this collaboration. Yeah, me too. Thank you. 
Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you want to keep up with the 280 Project, check them out on Instagram, at the 280 Project, all spelled out. And while you're there, follow us at Vitical Wine. And mark your calendars because this Thursday, September 2nd, we'll be throwing our pre-Labor Day sale starting at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time with a portion of the proceeds going directly to the 280 Project. To stay up to date with all the adventures and wine discovery happening at Viticole, you can join our newsletter at viticolewine.com. Don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. This has been Redefining the Vigneron featuring the 280 Project. I'm Yerka Jire, signing off.